0: Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On this episode, we continue our conversation about one of the most potentially contentious subjects around, politics. This time, Alex shares principles that he's adopted that have helped him engage in political dialogue in a way that honors people and is influenced by Jesus. Enjoy. Hey, welcome uh, back to the podcast, everyone. This is our second in uh, our installments uh, on politics, Uh, so on sort of what it means to have right-side-up politics or politics influenced by um, the Sermon on the Mount. A few, actually almost a month and a half ago, we had a seminar here at Chatham Community Church on politics, and uh, folks really appreciated uh, the conversation we had that day, and uh, a number of folks were wondering why we didn't record it. Well, part of it is we didn't know how it was going to go that <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Alex and I, we, we weren't sure. We, we gave each other freedom to to prepare our, our our positions, our statements without each other's influence. So we didn't know what we were going to say. But after that, uh, based on how well it went and, and how many people asked us for more resources, we decided to spend uh, at least a couple of podcasts just uh, sharing our our idea on how to engage politically from a Christian perspective. And uh, in the previous uh, episode, Alex interviewed me, and we sort of went back and forth with that. And I get to interview Alex now. So, Alex, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks for being patient. We are supposed to do this like a uh, week and a half ago, and then we had some weather, and then I had the flu, and so this is a little bit overdue. But uh, So I've been looking forward to it and uh, really enjoyed uh, your podcast, we got I got to poke at you. So thanks for the chance to uh, now be the one to get poked at on the piñata this time around or whatever, however that works.
0: Indeed you are. Yeah. You are in the hot seat, I think is what we, we said uh, last episode. There we go. Uh, Alex, you opened up our, our evening that time at the seminar with some opening statements that I think you know part of them would be worthwhile to share with our audience. So uh, why don't you go ahead and share those?
1: Yeah, I, I, a couple of things that I, I feel like I want to frame up the conversation that night and also frame up just in general uh, with politics. One, one was the conversation we had leading up to it for multiple people, or the question they had was, uh, you sure you want to do this? <laughs> you know, kind of open up Pandora's box and think what, what we look forward to and what we uh, what we want to continue to perpetuate and create space for is a opportunity to have a distinctively Christian conversation around politics. And uh, to say at the outset of a Christian political conversation that, uh, that Jesus is Lord and that frames everything else. And one of the things on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is so adamant about is... Uh, our character formation or whatever is in our character is going to come out when we get squeezed and what mm-hmm. happens in pol- political conversations, especially when we have someone who differs from us, is we get squeezed. So part of the question is what comes out when you get squeezed in a political conversation and that's, in some ways, it's a good uh, it's a good sort of barometer of what's inside us, right? And so, uh, I don't always like what comes out in me in political conversations so I say that confessionally and mm-hmm. uh, continue to grow in my own character about how I deal with people who disagree with me in various ways. So, um, But I think the, uh, the idea of having a, a conversation about politics where politics is not the most important thing. So what happens What happens in the vacuum uh, culturally when you sort of take out faith or God is something that's going to fill that void. And so I think part of, part of the vehemence, the anger, the, the, uh, the venom around politics is, uh, well, we don't have anything more important than politics to, to hang your hat on, and that becomes your God, essentially. And I think that's what's I think that's happening. I mean, it's always been uh, a charged issue. Yeah, politics has always been charged, but I think in a particular way, Uh, There's a shift of uh, kind of uh, ordaining or putting politics in a place that God should be in our lives. And I think that that sort of increases the tension around it. Um, And so to have a a conversation where Jesus is Lord is the most important thing, I think, is is, is, uh, incredibly helpful. The other thing that I want to say, particularly to our church community, is we genuinely have people who have the whole spectrum of political beliefs and perspectives. So um, we have... Uh, Republicans who love Trump, we have Republicans who hate Trump. We have uh, we have Democrats who loved Hillary and uh, who have any number of sort of affiliations with current you know uh, sort of candidates for office for the Democratic side of things. Uh, we have we have genuine socialists. We have true out and out libertarians. We run the whole gamut. It's one thing to know that sort of in theory. It's a different thing to actually have that person in your small group, for example, right? And so uh, seeing, uh, I just want to encourage our community and just people in churches in general to uh, to be open to not be shocked and, and, and to be able to figure out what does it mean to, for me to sort of love and respect and appreciate these people even though we have differences and you know and one of the things I said uh, in the uh, seminar space I want to say again here is um, that uh, if you listen to Jaime's podcast from uh, the, the last one that's dropped, or listen to this one here, it's likely that we might disappoint people by not either saying things strongly enough that they wish we said more strongly or uh, by things that they still totally disagree with. And the, uh, the invitation to continue to respect, love each other in the midst of even disappointment is, uh, is a thing. That's something that is a, is a call on us. Um, and, and, so, and, and, and finally, I, I want to say that part of the reason why we are careful on Sunday mornings to not talk too much about politics, even though sometimes people really push me to do so, is uh, you know like I am uh, my political convictions are a work in progress in a way that my faith in Christ is not and is I my mean, faith in Christ is always growing and maturing but it's in a it's in it's in one direction in a particular way and there's a way where my politics if I'd done this ten years ago have been different and mm-hmm. so there's a way where what we do on Sunday mornings we want to be more authoritative more sort of here's 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 the kingdom here's the gospel and have that be uh, have that be a, a big enough thing a strong enough thing within which we're all working out our political sort of processes and application of that politically uh and it's gonna look different in different seasons and different times as, as we as we have different convictions as our faith grows and matures in some different ways and so uh this is also a work in progress and uh thanks for being patient with me and i'm, I'm excited to sort of dig into this it's, it's been fun
0: yeah i was uh, reflecting on our on the political diversity in our church uh, and which is true not just in national issues but it's true in local issues uh-huh. as well uh, this past week, there was a local vote on an increase, I believe, in the sales, sales tax, tax. in right. Chatham County, and uh, which passed. But when you looked at uh, the different sectors in Chatham County, uh, there was—I mean—and there there were votes in both directions in every sector. And it was really
1: close. It was a close vote. It was it was a close a vote. Couple thousand
0: different. But there were there were like two sectors, uh, sort of on this uh, corridor in fifteen five hundred one. Which is a main road here in Chatham County that uh, voted to approve, in every other sector, uh, you know, what won was to not approve. Uh, and uh-huh. so I think, uh, e- even in that, I was I was reflecting on that with with someone from the church uh, just the other day, and uh, and they expressed, you know, I just I just don't know how I would have under what circumstances would I ever vote to uh, to increase my tax to have more money taken from my my paycheck, and that reflects a a a a political thought a way Uh of engaging in 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 policy where you would have other people in our church and clearly we do uh that would say that they would totally understand why you would vote Uh, and in fact their their faith would inform them maybe to in certain circumstances vote to to have Uh more money withheld from them Uh, and so just even in that as 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 the noise in Uh light of that vote is is coming is coming out i'm uh, I'm impressed by the diversity and the ability to coexist.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something I think. I've been, I've been, I think I've been pretty proud of our church over the last four years, particularly post-election, to see how that's come out. And in fact, that, back in 2016, the, the, week after the, the week after the election went down, uh, I did not do this on purpose, but one day I had nothing but Trump supporters I just met with. I met like three or four people, and they were all Trump supporters who were shocked and gleeful about what happened. And the next day was all Hillary supporters who were all like, just completely... Uh, you know, dizzied and, I mean, shocked uh, in, an, in a negative way. And it was, it was so interesting to sort of be in this community. And some of them were, I think, were even in the same small group together. To, 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 to hear them working, figuring out, or talking about how to sort of be in community with people who disagree with them politically at a pretty charged time, that's something that we've had to have ongoing conversations with. And we hope that this will continue to uh, sort of propagate that and perpetuate that. So, uh, yeah, it was fun.
0: Yeah. Well, Alex, you had, uh, you had sort of like these core principles um, that guided your your own engagement with politics, but also it was the advice you were giving to us. Yeah, on, on yeah, yeah. So I, I, have
1: sort of five posture principles and two policy principles. So that's the there. Ah. So, so five posture principles and two policy principles. Uh, and so uh, the first one was um, that uh, that everyone who disagrees with me is not an idiot. Like that's a that that to me has to be a, a pretty core thing. In fact, Jesus. There's a warning about that. Start on the mouth that if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of fires of hell. Actually, so there's something about um, demonizing the other that's really easy to do, and uh, that I think as Christians we're called to fight hard to not fall into that trap. Uh, the things that I think are are the truest biblically are everyone. Everyone who disagrees with me is an image bearer, and everyone who disagrees with me is forgiven at the cross. Like I, st- I start there, even with my people who I disagree with politically uh, or theologically or whatever I trying to stay in that place of what does it mean for me to um to uh, to approach people who have differences with as image bearers and as people who are forgiven of me at the cross how's that the truer name and I might disagree with them um but that's uh that's a thing and I think I think it's true uh, particularly as Christians who many of whom um are looking to sort of take their political beliefs and say well scripture says x y and z there's a lot of things that scripture doesn't speak directly to right and so there's thought, there's thoughtful christians who have all kinds of thoughts about education or climate change or uh gun control or whatever or, or like these different issues that are not directly spoken to in the scriptures that uh that that uh, are have convictions on both sides and sort of like sort of rec- leaving space and making sure that I'm, I'm respecting them so everyone is with me not an idiot image bearer Forgiven with me at the cross. Those are like that's like sort of posture number one. I try to have with uh, people who I uh, have disagreement with.
0: Now, Alex, uh, that that sounds all great. You know, with with all things being equal and everyone agreeing to that sort of like uh, posture, that, that 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 when when everyone is good and nice and kind, sure. Um, but oftentimes, I find that that what leads us to that point where we uh, dismiss people um, or treat them like you know they're idiots if they disagree with us because we've been. We've caught flack at times. You know, uh-huh. People who disagree with us have been, have been um, not great people to us. Uh, so how do we remain engaged with that sort of um, – that sense of uh, graciousness and charity towards people yeah, uh, when great. it's not only that their um, political position is uh, in disagreement with us, but their political posture is aggressive, antagonistic – or oppressive?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think that's it's a great question, and I think that uh, the, the Christians that I that I have the greatest deal of respect for are the ones who sort of stayed in that gracious place in the face of uh, really nasty opposition. Um, you think about the Nelson Mandela's. You think about the Dr. Martin Luther Kings. The people who've um, and uh, you know just coming out of uh, coming out of Black History Month and thinking about how many Christians have sort of demonstrated uh, tremendous courage. African American Christians, that are in you know, particularly in, in America, who the vast majority of whom are following Jesus, right, and 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 thinking about what does it what does it mean to sort of sit at their feet and learn for from from them about man, what does it take to sort of stay in that gracious space, which doesn't mean that there aren't genuinely um, wrong or wrong-headed things. I mean, certainly, not like not everything is um, wise or good or true, right? Mm-hmm. So so the question of how do we So, so I think your question of like, what what do I do with people for whom who are uh, who are particularly uh, just mean, mean spirited, those sort of things?
0: How do I not write those people off? Right, which is what you know they're an idiot is also it's a sort of a right, right,
1: right, yeah, 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 Uh, absolutely. I I think
0: that I I think part of what part of what
1: tries what keeps me uh, soft in those spaces is um, is appreciating that sort of uh, and hoping that for people for whom I think are genuinely or just wrong uh that god's not done with them yet and i have hope for that right and that 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 keeps me in a posture of hoping the best for them even if i disagree with them and even if at the end of the day there's not we're not even able to not able to shake hands or agree agree amicably right disagree amicably um what does it what does it mean to sort of say okay lord's not done with that person nor is lord done with me yet and 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 to be kind of open-handed with what with being works in progress i think that helps me to sort of stay stay humble in that space stay soft in that space um uh, but certainly, certainly, it's uh, there. There comes a point, and I mean, you see this. You know, I mean, you see this with with Jesus and and, and with uh, the rest of the Testament authors who are all facing opposition, where they are wrestling with. Uh, there is genuine opposition here, and you know, and 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 Jesus comes to face to face with his accusers, you know, and, and and Pilate, and says, "Well, you don't really have authority over me." Uh, uh, and 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 yet, there's also this real, this very real sense of. There's the spiritual opposition. We've, we talked about that recently in the in the uh, eyes wide open series. Our struggle's not a battle's not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual realm and spiritual reality to it, um, and there's this real person in front of me who is perhaps a willing participant in darkness, and uh, and, and I think you can. I think I, I think biblically, you know, the prophets are always speaking. Uh, and all those of the prophets are not don't don't hold back uh, mm-hmm. declaring evil and calling evil what it is. Right, and so. And um, and even calling in Jesus calls Pharisees whitewashed tombs, right? And so there's there's a way to sort of speak what's what's really going on that is bold and prophetic. Uh, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, I come back to um, you know my my uh, seminary professor's sort of remix of uh, Karl Barth's idea that sort of. Uh, God says no to serve as larger yes. So what's the so Jesus said no to the Pharisees over and over and over again. In part because he longed for the redemption of the Pharisees, right? And and the the, the prophetic word to Israel of like stop exploiting the 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 poor, the oppressed, the foreigner. It was. Yes to the bigger call in Israel to be a, a nation that really reflected God's heart, right? So this 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 idea that do I understand what my the, the larger no the, what, what, if there's a no here that I think is God's no, do I understand the bigger yes for this person and for our, you know for our community or for our state or for our nation? And that I think that keeps me soft as well mm. uh, in the spaces to go. Okay, gosh, God's for this person even if they even if I think they're totally wrong. and I think there's a no here. What's the yes that I'm praying for them for and and, and trying to lean into? So that's one way I try to work that out.
0: Yeah, no, that's not, great.
1: Not simple for sure.
0: That's great. Why don't you keep us uh, keep us going? Yeah, I'll keep I'll
1: keep, I'll keep moving. Uh, principle number two is uh, I could be wrong, which uh, some of us have never thought before in our lives. But it's really it's really helpful. Some of us some of us feel that too much, right? They're, they're, we're too apologetic. We're too kind of uh, we hold back too much. We're not sort of enough. But for plenty of us, um, uh, I could be wrong is uh, is a, is a significant. Uh, category there's a biblical call to humility from start to finish from the scriptures right just a biblical call to humility that there's only one who knows all things (laughs) and that is God himself and the rest of us are limited finite human beings who uh who are frail and uh here today and are gone tomorrow like grass and so there's a there's a humility that's called to be uh, that we're called to sort of demonstrate in there that I could be wrong in a situation again particularly in areas where scriptures don't speak directly to different things and so uh being open-handed with that I think is uh it's pretty critical to uh, to to being humble. So principle number three is the corollary to that, which is I could be right, like so. So I could be wrong as a, a humble, but there's also a thing that I, that I could be right, uh, and, and in which case there's a tremendous responsibility to to wield that in faith, hope, and love. To mm. to wield rightness in faith, hope, and love. Uh, I I heard a uh, man had our talk once. It was on a cassette tape. That's how long it was. That's how old I am. It was on a cassette tape, <laughs> and, uh, and and the, and the speaker was talking about um, this realization he had where he said, I am the least like Christ when I'm right. I'm at least like Jesus when I'm sure I'm right. And he said, "Beware of me when I'm right, and beware of you when you're right." Mm-hmm. And that was a—it uh, stuck with me because uh, it was just so—it was so powerful. So it, it felt—it was—it felt so yes, like Jesus, and it's up with the spirit, and uh, and it unfortunately reflected my own experience of like well, I'm sure I'm right. I have I, I can justify any number of ways I treat people or whatever because I've got this thing that I'm sure I'm right mm-hmm. about. So this uh, this idea that uh, I could be wrong. There's a call to humility, and I could be right, and I'm called to be humble in that space as well, and to sort of wield rightness in a not as a tool but as a, as a gift and how do I do that in faith, hope, and love and being aware of the different ways I'm tempted to sort of justify almost anything or any posture or attitude of when I'm pretty sure that I'm right
0: yeah I think uh, uh, another thing to, to, to sort of temper that is that not every issue is a right or wrong issue uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, that's right you know there, there, there are issues where it's um, a preference or what I think is best mm-hmm. um, but a, a multitude of avenues will reach the same goal uh and i think there's a lot and this is uh, just natural in the process in the political process i think uh there's a lot that's become completely polarized so that there can't be any middle ground there can't be any compromise there can't be any even any recognition that the other side accomplished something because it's our way is the right way Mm -hmm. and their way is the wrong way instead of we all have well we don't all have but on certain things we both have or all three of us have or depending on the issue uh, a similar goal we just have different ways of getting there. Yeah.
1: Yeah well, and I think that um, that enshrining of of uh of our way of accomplishing the thing. That's all, that's, that's all, that's all part of the, uh, taking ourselves way too seriously in a sense, right? I mean, not that politics isn't serious and has significant consequences, but there's the, the enshrinement of sort of, uh, of, uh, of our way. And yeah. And that, like there, that, uh, the, not allowing there to be space for different ways to get to the same goal, but so saying that's not just the goal, but how we get there, and my my way to get there has got to be the right way, and, and to say you know not everything's a right and wrong kind of issue. There could be there is there could be um, times and seasons, or or even like times and places, right in our, in our country's history, where. This, like uh, an approach 100 years ago and an approach today would uh, are it worked 100 years ago but was right 100 years ago but it's not right today because so many things have changed right or even 50 years ago or even 20 years ago and there's mm-hmm. so many, like, allowing latitude for that I think is really really mm-hmm. important and yeah. what
0: was best 100 years ago is no longer best that's right that's right
1: uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, principle number four kind of Posture principle number four is uh, no political party is the perfect kingdom of God, right? So since the since the United States is not the kingdom of God, but they're separate things, that could, that's actually hard for some people. That's true, okay? So kingdom of God, United States of America, two separate things. So I would say that each political party uh, has policies that are resonant with the kingdom of God, and each political party has positions that are dissonant with the kingdom of God. So... You got political parties that are all made up of image bearers, uh, fallen image bearers, and so are uh, um, in the United States. I would say that so, at, at both political parties, both major political parties, I would say, have things that I would say are resonant with the kingdom of God and are significantly dissonant with the kingdom of God. And, and I think, uh, or put it differently, all political parties have sinned and fallen short of the kingdom of God, right? That, that that I think that there's people of faith that are walking very faithfully with Jesus in both political parties and praise Jesus, right? That there's salt and light in both political parties, people who are earnestly seeking the Lord, praying. Uh, and I do think that part of the responsibility of Christians in who are committed to political parties um, and who have a deep love for political parties, I think there's a deep responsibility to be be a prophetic voice in the political party, to, to recognize where there's dissonance in the political party, and where possible, where necessary, to sort of call that out, to close that gap, or to name those things, and to recognize those things, I think I think Christians need to be the most honest about the shortcomings of the parties that they're most affiliated with and most attached to. Mm-hmm. Like I think Christians need to be the most honest with, like, yes, I'm a Democrat or yes, I'm a Republican, and uh, here's what I love about my party, and here is here is what grieves me because I know it grieves the Holy Spirit because I know it's not like i know this this particular aspect of the of the party's history or current practice or current policies and this these are ways that's just just dissonant with the kingdom of god in both political parties that's true and so i think christians need to be the most honest about that and the least uh afraid or the least eager to cover up those things right Mm -hmm. or to or to or to uh, we're we're all tempted to sort of turn the volume on a candidate that we like and sort of turn the volume down pieces of their their uh, policies or their personality that we just don't don't like we know that aren't particularly christian right and so uh, i think as christians we need to be sort of the most honest about sort of the, the the wheat and tears growing up together right and that's so i think that's an important role that christians play um and uh an important part of what it means to be a the political process i think
0: yeah i would add to that that i think it's also then the duty of christians to be the first to most honestly if they're partisan uh or they belong to a political party to most honestly declare the strengths of the other party that's right that's right absolutely uh and the places where there are value mm-hmm. um You know, one of the things that is sometimes challenging is when I when I hear um, followers of Jesus say, "Well, I can't understand how a follower of Jesus could be part of that political party because they believe that political party supports X thing," and that Christian who's part of that other political party might not support that X thing, but there's enough of the other things that they support that they want to be part of the um, you know partisan side of. You know they want to be able to vote in primaries. Uh-huh. They want to be able to engage with the with with the political uh, operation in a in a more uh, in, a, in a closer way. Um, and it's it's hard sometimes to find uh, followers of Jesus who can honestly declare the strengths of the other side yeah. um, because of the weaknesses that are probably greater than what they than than what they would be willing to be comfortable with. And there's this um, there's this overarching thing that if I say Something good about the other side, I'm giving them ground. That's right. Right. And if I say something bad about my side, I'm conceding ground. What are some of the dangers in that? Particularly as you said about candidates, about sort of completely dampening the shortcomings and and sort of am- over amplifying the strengths. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I love what you're saying, honey. I, mean, I really think. I, th- I think one practical thing that a Christian could do in the election cycle would be to so whatever candidate you don't like, to to sort of acknowledge to someone who's on their side to sort of acknowledge their strengths and acknowledge the flat sides of this sort of things i think that's really i I think that would be a great application of what it means to be a christian in an election year frankly i think it's really good um i I think uh i think it's really important um your your question what are the dangers I, i i just think it's really important for us to um to have eyes wide open to uh the fullness of what's happening in front of us, and to not sort of uh, we were ta- the other night we were talking to my small group about um, about oh, gosh something about like not being deceitful, giving up deceitful practices or something like that, and not and not lying. And I said, you know, and we said, well, the person you're the person that you lie to the most consistently is yourself, and you're you're really good at it, and you're really good at convincing yourself of whatever you want to believe to be true. And so I think that could be, I think there's ways that. When we um when we drink the Kool Aid and go all in on a political party political candidate again I'm not saying this, I'm not saying it's wrong to work on behalf of a party or to to you know get out the vote and knock on doors all those sort of things but I think when I think when we uh, don't do that with the full realization that this is not the kingdom of God or this person is not the not 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 the Messiah there's a there's a sinner here that I'm talking about and that I'm getting behind and uh, if we're not willing to acknowledge that then what happens as you go along you see this all throughout history i mean you see you see christians who got on board with hitler right and 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 and, 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 and as things escalated they they had so con- they, they had they had so habituated blinding themselves to the the th- it, it, hitler didn't start start out as hitler right he started out not quite as bad right i mean he was not a particularly pleasant human being from the start but uh but as his policies got worse and worse and worse all, all the ways that people had sort of negotiated or blinded themselves or lied to themselves and and not and, and ignored the things along the way it, 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 it habituated just ignoring things that even as they got more and more obvious and egregious now that's a that's an obvious one but i think it's a, i think it's a, i think it's actually a really good example of the things that christians are capable of ignoring and what happens when you when you habituate that i think like there are um, uh, a and and i think actually what you see is not just hitler and world war 2 and jews what you see is uh, Christianity in Europe actually has suffered ever since. I mean, the, like the the Christ, like the, the inability of Christians to sort of stand up, in Germany particularly, to Hitler and kind of all the atrocities that went on. I mean, so like the, the church in Europe has not been the same since sort of two major world wars. And there's a whole lot of reasons behind that. But one of them, I think, really was um, sort of how many Christians. Now, obviously, there were some really faithful Christians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other folks who were working hard. In Europe, in this, in that season, but you see the consequences of what happens when Christians don't stand up uh, and aren't awake to uh, and honest about what's really going on. So I think that's uh, uh, an extreme example, but a very clear one where um, there's a flat side, there's a danger, uh, and there's lots of small there's lots of small ways that plays out in other other situations as well that aren't quite as dramatic. All right, principle five. Uh, principle five is there's a time to back down and a time to make a stand. And it might be sooner or later than your natural inclination, depending on your personality. Some of us love a good fight, and if you're not sure if you're one of those people, you can ask your friends. I'm sure they'll be glad to tell you. Uh, And some of us run away from anything that smells remotely like conflict. And throughout biblical history and and kind of post-biblical history, there have been people that God has called to step into battles who hate battles and ran from them and would not sort of be inclined to them. And there's been times when God has... Call people who are who love a good fight, and God's leveraged that and said, "Yeah, jump in," or or, or 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 said to a fighter, "It's time to retreat," or it's time to sort of you know sort of submit or quiet down. Or, this is not your fight. This is not your battle to fight. And so, um, either uh, either or both of those might not be popular with the people around you, right? There might be you might feel like it's time to take a stand, and everyone around you is saying no. But you have a deep sense that like no, God's calling me to take a stand, and you might be like you might feel like you know what, no, I'm not going to fight this battle, and everyone around you might be disappointed because they, they look to you to fight the battles for them. And I think. Um, there's i think a, a posture that principle posture of like i am i am following sort of the lord and and, and, and understanding uh where he's calling me to step in and uh that again it may or may go contrary my natural inclination and it might be contrary the people around me's desires for me but uh but i think there's a call uh in, in principle five to be to be both ready to step in and ready to sort of submit quietly to the lord first on behalf of the lord first and foremost uh, as as uh, situation sort of demands so this is my five principles right yeah. that, that, that's my uh th- there's that's number five
0: can i press in on that last one for a little bit please so so that how do you mesh that one with the print with the thing you shared earlier that we are best at lying to ourselves yeah so then, how how do we guard against deceiving ourselves about when it's time to stand and when it's time to retreat?
1: Yeah, that's a great. I mean, that's a great question. So I do think that there. Uh, you know, I'm talking about sort of it may or may not be popular to people around you, and and, and I do think community could help us right with that. I just think at the. Uh, so I think having people who know us well enough uh, that we can sort of process or share or say like, hey, I'm I'm feeling I'm I'm, I'm really feeling upset about this i really feel like i'm, I'm, I'm i want to step into this people around you that you know could be a check to you that can be helpful um or it could help you to sort of know if you're overreacting right or step down so i think i think community can be helpful in that um but at the end of the day like you know we have a responsibility before the lord um to live surrendered lives right so surrender is surrender is the first uh, Surrender is the first thing that Christians do in baptism, and in some ways, I think it's the posture we're called to for our entire following of Jesus. Right, yeah. that we're that we live as surrendered human beings before Jesus. That that, that uh, uh, we follow one Lord and one Savior and one King and one Master, and we serve at, We serve at, We serve at His good pleasure, and no one else's, including our own whims, and mm-hmm. our own desires. And so, what does that mean to sort of live to live surrendered and submitted lives as a posture politically before the Lord? Uh, I think that I think that will look countercultural at points, or or even contrary to our own personalities, uh, even if the issue really does matter. But the Lord just knows it wouldn't be good for us, right? There's there's definitely been things that I think would have been a good fit, for, like would have been a good fit for me, personality wise, or even like work or whatever. I think that God knew if I if, if I went down that path, it wouldn't be good for me. It wouldn't be good for my soul. And so to, to pass on an opportunity that would have been a natural fit on paper because it wasn't the right time or the right season, you know, then that's there's there's something about growing me as a, as a as a follower of Jesus, that's, that's working there. So I do think, um, I do think it's a great question, the question of, I know I am I can deceive myself into thinking almost anything. So I think reality testing that with other people and then fighting, I think, in a, in a posture of prayer to uh, to do that. I think that's, I think that's an important thing. Honey, I mean, would you say you've got uh, sort of experience in that or, or thoughts about how, the, how you work that out in your own life?
0: No, no. I, I mean, I, I, think, I think you've nailed it on the head. I think uh, there is a role for community. So I think the way we balance both the the, the possibility of people misleading us mm-hmm. uh, and of us deceiving ourselves is just sort of go the both and right and and in both settings be submissive to the lord mm-hmm. um, and be surrendered to the lord um, you know and and particularly for those of us who 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 have these people around us there are people called spiritual directors and there are people who who are like them who's who are um, sort of somewhat unbiased parties who can ask really significant questions about um whether you know whether what we're doing or what we're approaching is seeking our own glory or our own safety yeah. versus the lord's will and and uh, for me personally spiritual directors have been have been good people in those moments to ask those kind of questions and help me um avoid self-deceit
1: yeah 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 having having someone who's just wiser than the Lord around you is, uh, I think is really critical in those moments, particularly at the, the most critical moments, right. Of, um, where there's, and, and anytime there's something, uh, emotion, emotionally charged, right. That's, that the, having some way to have something outside your own head, give you some perspective or, or
0: speak into it is helpful. Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah. Someone who has some distance can sometimes yeah. ask really good questions Absolutely. and offer some, some decent perspective. Absolutely.
1: So, yeah. So, so my five, five postures, uh, one who disagrees with me, not an idiot. Two, I could be wrong. Three, I could be right. Four, no political parties, perfect kingdom of God. And five, time to back down, time to extend. Might be sooner or later than your national inclination. May or may not be popular to people around you. So that's the five postures. So two principles for policy that I think are helpful and places where I've um, seen uh, Christians go wrong. Uh, one is not all biblical commands make for good public policy. Like not all biblical commands make for good public policy. Some Christians, particularly kind of conservative Christians, uh, Read the Bible and say, "Well, if that's true biblically, then it should be true for our country, right?" So draw draw a straight line. Uh, but here's the deal: the first and greatest commandment, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." Every time it's ever been tried to be legislated, it's a disaster. It is. It ends in people getting burned at the stake and people being persecuted. It is horrible. It's always been horrible. Every time we ever try to legislate the most important command, the greatest, and most important command. If we can't legislate that, then that should give us uh, a reason to sort of pause and consider that some biblical commands are only only function in a when they're nested in a larger voluntarily community a voluntary community that you've voluntarily submitted yourself to and and only makes sense when they're uh, when they are in operation in context with a larger biblical framework and that and and that you that not every biblical command can be taken out of the biblical framework and applied more broadly to people who are not necessarily participating in that framework mm-hmm. and so um, so i think that's an important policy thing that not every biblical command makes for good public policy. So that's principle number one. But principle number two is, some do. right? Some biblical commands do. So it turns out, don't murder, great public policy. Don't lie, great public policy. Um, these are things that, uh, uh, they're they're natural to us and obvious to us, uh, but but the reality is um, it's so fundamental. Like, the Christian worldview is so fundamental, we don't even realize how Christian it is. Like, if paganism had won the day, like, a third of the a, a third of Rome was slaves, right? A third of the, all the Roman, like, so all all of Rome conquered were slaves, right? So if pagans had won the day, the, no guarantee that women would be anything more than property, or slaves would be anything more than property, right? There's a way where Christianity, uh, in its best moments, and some of the best parts of sort of particularly Western culture, have drawn on Christian understanding of human beings, like made in God's image, is, image bearers, valuable. I mean, like the like Christian principles have been used over and over and over again. In fact, there's a uh, There's a really interesting book out right now called Dominion, written by a guy who's British, who uh, was a proud atheist, and then he started studying history, and he realized, wait a minute, like... Everything about me is Christian. Like I wouldn't call myself a Christian, but everything about the way I think about the world, how I think about human beings, like everything about me is Christian. And so, basically, his whole his book basically is this massive tome of a historical tracing of Christian worldview and how it shaped Western Christianity. To the point, like he's like, listen, without Christianity, there's no Me Too movement. Without Christianity, there's no Black Lives Matter movement. Like, he, like he are, he's arguing. He's still. I'm not sure he would call himself a Christian yet, but he still basically says, listen, we're all basically functional Christians, and we don't even realize how Christian we are and how 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 basically argues almost all the best things of western culture have drawn from the christian tradition and uh and we are foolish to dismiss that and and miss that on that so it's really interesting to uh, see that i think that's very i think that's very uh i think it's true that um that there are some biblical principles that make for outstanding public policy and have really benefited and helped uh human beings to be live healthier flourishing lives even people who aren't christians have benefited right that's the uh uh, the the residual that that's the um, the the kingdom coming and blessing people even those who are not who are not willfully or intentionally participating in it uh, when it's functioning well it's uh, it's blessing lots of folks um, and so I think you've got these two things that are true about policy one is that not every biblical uh, command makes for good public policy and some do make for good policy so how do you know well I think the only way you know is by fighting about it by arguing about it, having hard conversations which is why. Going back to the very beginning, the ability to have hard conversations under the lordship of Christ, where like where I, where I can disagree or have conversations and have it within the church, have it outside the church, and really to other people as image bearers, even though they're difficult, I think, I think the only way you know if a if a, if a biblical principle makes for good public policy is if you work it out in real time, the the situations. And a number of reasons why uh, a biblical principle may or may not be a good public policy move, or, or something that's worth fighting for, right? So I think um, prohibition is a great example of a bad of a, of, a, of a one group of Christians' interpretation of biblical commands on alcohol, and they tried to make that public policy, and that was like, yeah, that was a train wreck. Shouldn't have done that, right? That was bad, bad decision. Um, uh, but there are again other 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 policies that have deeply biblical, deeply Christian sort of worldview attached to them. And the only way you know, I think, is by being able to have hard conversations, which I think is part of what concerns me so much about our polarization and inability, uh, and our tribalism and our inability to have kind of some of those conversations. Is if we if we lose the ability to have hard conversations, uh, I think we're going to lose the ability to, to to be able to implement good public policy. Because back to what you said earlier, it's not always right or wrong. It's what's 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 the right thing for this season in this moment, and how do we how do we sort of match pitch with this particular situation? And I think if we can't have hard conversations and uh, I think that's why sort of free speech is such an important piece mm-hmm. of it. I think if we can't if we can't do that well, uh, I think that we'll be in trouble. Not like as a church and as a nation, I think we'll be in trouble.
0: So how do we have those hard conversations?
1: Um, that's interesting. I, mean, I think some of it is uh, some of it's well there's some big picture things. Um again as Christians, I think some of it is uh, to if 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 not everything is at stake, if if Jesus is Lord, then there's some way where that sort of downgrades the emotional intensity around it. I think the second thing is, um it's so true for Christians, I think uh, I think part of it too is um I have this conversation regularly with uh, people who are getting ready to get married, and I say to them, "Listen, nobody has families where people argued well. You like, like almost nobody had parents that argued well, knew how to do it. Like, it's just a hard thing to have to have conflict well. It's a really, really hard skill, and almost none of us have seen it done well, have have had it modeled. And so I tell it, I tell it to married couples, like you likely have not seen conflict done, dealt with well, because it's a hard thing, and people just haven't been trained in." work through it and so you need to learn how to do that well and i think that's true for us in political conversations as well Is there's so um we're so not well practiced or reversed in how to have hard conversations that i think it does take practice and i think it does there is um i do think that th- i think i think that there is uh, a re- real value in not just uh, not having not not having difficult conversations or avoiding contention so this is one of the things i think um, I would say, as a church, we've managed to not have major conflict around politics, but I'm not sure that we've engaged as well as we could have around mm-hmm. difficult conversations. And some of that, I think, is we know that we're not, we know that we're just one step away from, <laughs> you know, explosion, and we're not sure we can have that conversation well. And so there's some discretion, and that's wisdom, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. I think that I think there is uh, a value for saying, okay, what does it mean for us as a church to say, hey, you know what? This is a place where we're going to learn how to have hard conversations around politics and have Jesus inform, like not uh, not just Jesus, like inform, like we're cherry picking scriptures to so, to validate, but like Jesus inform how we're having this conversation and and, and the um and how, how much weight we give, how much gravitas we, we give to this. And so I do think that there's something about uh, practice and learning uh, how to do it well that is an important piece of developing a skill because it is a skill, right, to have hard conversations. Wow. What do you think? I mean, what's been your experience in terms of seeing people grow up into having difficult conversations where there's genuine difference of opinions about how to solve important problems?
0: I mean, I think the ability to uh, remain um, separate, to not personalize disagreement is is key. Uh, I mean, it's the like... um, not everyone who disagrees with me is an idiot. I think it's also the flip side is true to not believe that just because they disagree with me, they think I'm an idiot
1: mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. I'm the
0: enemy yeah, yeah. Uh, is uh, is crucial. And uh, I think the ability to remain intention and remain unresolved at times without sacrificing a relationship is for certain issues is helpful. Uh, so, so that belief that there are you, you mentioned it again is that uh, not everything is right or wrong. Something sometimes it's uh, difference of opinions or what's best now. We disagree on what's best now. Um, is is helpful, and uh, and then the the ability to or the awareness of what are what are the hills that we're going to die on mm-hmm. in terms of who we're going to surround ourselves with. Um, so there are people who will take the, uh, I can't believe you would support that political party and, uh, without, or that candidate without engaging in dialogue then turn that into, I'm not sure we can be in relationship with one another. And there may be times where that leads to that, because when you dig deep into, um, what this person thinks when they support that political party or when they support that candidate, what they believe about people, what they believe about you, what they believe about the world, that there's significant dissonance. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might mean that the relationship might need to change. I don't know that it necessarily should always provoke uh, a rift, but I think we're, we're oftentimes too quick to get there. And because we feel that that's a risk, then it becomes very hard to engage in, Political dialogue. I mean, it's the reason why you've got places where you say don't talk about – the two things they say don't talk about, religion or politics, right? right? It's the reason why we, we sometimes dread political conversations at Thanksgiving, right? It's, it's, it's a caricature yeah. that the fights at Thanksgiving are going to be about politics and we're going to ruin politics. We're going to ruin Thanksgiving. Therefore – I mean, politics already ruined them, <laughs> um, okay, right. Therefore, let's not talk about it. Right. Um, yep. what, what's at stake there isn't just that we're going to have a bad Thanksgiving – is that we're going to lose the relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, and so let's just not talk about it. Sure.
1: Uh, and I think there are p- people in situations where you just get to that point, right? Absolutely. It, uh, so I think there is wisdom in that. Sometimes you realize, yeah. you realize, you know what, for us to be family, for us to be in a relationship, I can't, you know, we just can't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. I think that's a possibility. I, think, I, don't think, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a necessity. Like you said, I don't think we have to get there. Yeah.
0: It's too short of a line. Sometimes, in fact, some for some people, it's not even a line. It's not even a trajectory. It's right. just the starting point. That's right. Uh, and I think that uh, that keeps us from being able to have uh, good conversations. So, I mean, I think a good place to start is assume that people um, assume that that uh, disagreement does not equal a break in the relationship immediately.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I after the last election, I, did, I, I was a poli sci major in college, so I, I sort of I, which I haven't really engaged as much. My adult life. But I I kind of reengaged it partly because I was really interested in how people were processing the election, because frankly, the election of Trump was was uh, not only not only not only a trademark for the Democrats, but also for the Republicans, because Trump didn't come through the machine. He wasn't he wasn't a candidate that was internal to the Republicans. He sort of he sort of flaunted everything. Right. And so I was curious about how thoughtful people on both sides were responding. And uh, I read one really interesting book. Uh, called the righteous mind, and 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 essentially, what he the subtitle is why why good people disagree on politics, religion, and po- and some other things, and and he, his 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 take is he his, his his approach was really fascinating. He said, "Listen, there's there's um, we have we we have innate character traits, uh, and some of us have, some of us have a tendency toward order, or some of us have a tendency toward creativity." And so he said, it, "What we do is well, we his argument was from us. He's a psychologist, uh, and he's looking." at people psychology and he says listen there's not it's not a surprise when you turn on like a uh, golden globe or some award ceremony and they're all liberals because creative types tend to prefer liberal open mindedness and more options and if you went to an engineering conference they prefer order and structure they're going to be more conservative so like his, his argument was like there's a reason why these 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 uh, communities and psychologies are drawn to their politics and what we think is we've we've all had done all this research and have all this really thoughtful thing uh and we've come to our political convictions after a thorough thoughtful discussion of things but actually what we do is we bring our psychological biases toward either co- order or openness to the con to our political engagement and then we we sort of uh post facto sort of uh, uh find things that back up why we would why we choose the people that we already agree with so so I, don't, I think that there's exceptions to all that and all that kind of thing but it was it was helpful for me a helpful way to frame up uh there's ways where we um want to again sort of crown our position as the logical correct one and i think it's part of the humility for me is recognizing you know uh there's there's, there i have some personality drawings there's some just some ways that i'm drawn toward either toward order or toward more openness and, and, and kind of creativity that are gonna um Draw me to one political party or another, or person or another that uh, that may or may not be grounded in anything that's like super thoughtful and thorough research. It's just my personality, right? Personality preference, and so of course you have the exceptions. You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger at the uh, you know <laughs> who's a really conservative person in a in an in in entertainment industry, and you've got liberals and who are you know mechanics or whatever as well. But this idea that uh, this idea that we should we should have some realization that there's a humanness to how we how we approach this that shapes things that also um should open us up to the humanness in someone else and saying okay there's a way where this there's a way where this person's sort of political uh, position makes sense to them, and I want to at least be open enough to hearing how does it make sense from your point of, your point of view. Um, that 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 helps me again to sort of be able to have a conversation where's possible mm-hmm. that uh, that even a conflict or, or or a discussion that helps me to enter in uh, a little bit more open to where that could lead and where that could go, and still honoring and respecting the person and hopefully maintaining the relationship because that's important to me. Obviously, uh, I'd rather not sacrifice relationships over politics. Uh, I think that's a rare, hopefully you know, mm-hmm. very rare along the way. Um,
0: yeah. I mean I think another thing is also as we try to engage for those of us who want to engage and I, I would hope and long that all of us would engage in thought and conversation around our our, um, our political positions and, and our uh, and our process towards uh, arriving at political conclusions um, you know it, it would be good advice to not start talking to folks who are naturally uh, uh, impatient or naturally naturally um unable to have good conflict Mm -hmm. Uh, you know there's there's a good chance and this is not a a blanket statement but there's a good chance this doesn't apply to everyone that folks who you've seen or were in your life who are generally kind loving thoughtful um, uh, charitable towards people they disagree with Mm -hmm. in other areas will be the same politically Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in their in their in their way to listen and talk politically. So you know, if you're looking to refine um, your ability to engage politically, your ability to think politically, your ability to talk politically, it'd be good to find people who already um, have uh, have a posture or an attitude that you aspire to, because it's likely they have it also politically, oh. and they can ask you questions, help you refine. Um, so you know. No, don't don't go start trying to learn how to have good political dialogue with that uh combative yes. the stereotype is the combative uncle, right? right. Or combative right. aunt uh, um, who thinks everyone who disagrees with them is is, is an idiot, you know. Uh, poor uncles and aunts. I have great uncles and aunts, so I don't get <laughs> to them. But
1: what well, it might even be interesting is to find someone like in your small group and say, uh hey i think we disagree politically but i, w- I want to learn how to have better conversations around this can, mm-hmm. we just get, can we just get lunch get coffee you might even want to just frame it up that directly and say you know i think there's some differences but i but i appreciate the ways you engage things and i want to I'd, I'd love to have a conversation where we could just have a, have a conversation about it and hear about it, you know and i think you do that in a charitable way that sets the stage for i want to have a charitable conversation over differences i think that's, that's that, that that would be a step toward learning how to have Different conversations we have, genuine with differences.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's actually someone here at church who did that with me. Not about politics specifically, uh-huh. uh, but about uh, uh, race and ethnicity. Uh-huh. They, uh, they just sort of took. We went out to lunch, and they just asked me some questions and just wanted to listen to my story. They, they didn't disagree with certain. They didn't agree with certain things, but there were moments, and I think this happened for both of us, where we appreciated hearing the other story, hearing this thought process, and it was like, huh, I never thought about it that way. I can see how that would lead you to conclude these things that's 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 interesting yeah um you know and i think we both understood each other a little bit better uh, at the end of that conversation so i i appreciated that person reaching out
1: yeah that's great well as we head into uh, election cycle election year uh, my my prayer my hope is that uh we'll be able to have good conversations right over the next few months and create space in our church and beyond that to uh, ma'am, I hope my prayer is that Christians in this election cycle can be salt and light, which is what Jesus calls us to be in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, that we will demonstrate that in a particularly even and especially in a particularly charged election year and election cycle. And maybe this uh, this little conversation should be a small part of uh, the larger work of people's lives. So finally, thanks for hosting. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Alex. All right, folks, if you like what you hear, feel free to let us know, uh, share it with someone, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode of the On the Way podcast. Bye-bye.